everybody. Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today, we have the season finale of season one in the hands of the prophets. Mike, how excited are you today? I'm pretty excited, Keith, mostly because when I watched this episode last night with our patrons, I had uh, I had taken a gummy to help myself fall asleep. And so <laughs> it's uh, it's not it's a rambling mess. So I'm a little more coherent today, just a little and uh, excited to parse through this because I feel like it's one uh, an interesting one to close the season with. Well, a uh, boy, if you uh, if that's not incentive to uh, join our Patreon, then I don't know <laughs> what is. Uh, but before we introduce our patrons, uh, Mike, uh, d- just just out of curiosity, eh, what's going on with the mustache? I know, right? It's not so bad. And the guy liner and the nails, right? The whole thing's yeah. happening. Um, Keith, I, I think I've, we've mentioned it somewhat coyly, coyly because we're in rehearsal, but we've opened the Adams Family here at the Depot Theater in Westport, New York. And, uh, you know, the theater magic happened. I was worried. I, I think you knew I was worried that it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, it, we opened, I'm, I'm proud of the work we've done and, uh, I've got to look like this for the next month. It always does. Well, uh, if you would like to see Mike and Deglio play Gomez Adams in the Adams family, the musical head up to the Depot theater up in upstate New York. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. uh, and, and, uh, enjoy the mustache for a couple of weeks, folks. It really, it's. It is every bit as upsetting to me as it is to you. So. Yeah, well, you don't have to walk around with it. I do. And uh, there's also a donkey right outside. So you legit may mm-hmm. hear a donkey donkeying for the next 45 minutes. Yeah. I I, I, he, <laughs> I was like, Mike, did, did, did I just hear a donkey? Yeah. Uh, I sure did. So uh, <laughs> lots to talk about. All right. Well, but before we get into the episode, uh, let us remind you that you have an opportunity you you have a chance, a life-changing opportunity to watch Mike, watch Deep Space Nine on edibles at, uh, <laughs> at uh, patreon.com slash K&M, spell out that and. And uh, what else can they find there, Mike? Well, uh, generally we read people's names, but I, I can't get it to do its thing. Um, yeah, I, de- I deleted it. So that that's showing up now. Their names are, are being shown and we're happy about it. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't say them. <laughs> Mike, you're a mess. But you know what? You're starring in a show. Our patrons include Brian Kaufman, yes. Casey Clark, CloudLubber69, Jorge Novoa, and The Mysterious, Alan Zimmerman, CRM Productions, Charles Babbage, and Kyle Sweeney. And uh, I, I, let me just announce here. I'm going to break some news Ooh. here on uh, on this Uh that I have, uh, I, I sent out a text this morning for uh, for some bonus content to put up on our patron. We're probably going to release one episode for free as a teaser. And then the rest of them are going to go up on patreon.com slash K&M. Uh, I'm going to bring in my brother, huh. the Emmy-nominated sound designer for Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek Enterprise, to discuss his journey through Star Trek. Yes. And then uh, maybe if I can really convince him, uh, we're going to discuss specific sound effects. And I, because like, yes, of course, like, hey, here, here's how you got the job. And like, what was it like? What was the process? But I really want to break down some of the iconic sound effects that he made so he can tell us, how did you make that sound effect? What's layered in there? What's the process? Yeah, for let's that? get nerdy think, about it. 
that might be some fun content. So uh, he's uh, so I, I'm excited to get going with that. So but patrons, what else can they find there, Mike? Patrons, if you want to send us uh, your questions for Keith's brother, if you have any specific sound questions, send them in. We give priority of questions to Keith and followed by our patrons. No, patrons first, then <laughs> Keith. Yeah, we'll figure that out, that out. But also, Keith and I are going to watch various different things. We watched uh, an episode of a lost episode of TNG that we're going to put on YouTube pretty soon. We also watched uh, a, a, an, an actual episode of TNG, and we've got some. I've got some surprises for Keith. Things I want to watch. Uh, so oh, no. uh, that'll all be on the patron. We are actually going to. Uh, we have a lot of fun stuff in store for the patron coming up uh, once I get back in town. Uh, so yes, patreon.com slash K and M spell out the end. Lots of fun stuff. But most importantly, sincerely, I say to you, uh, you help us fund the show, even on location. Uh, we appreciate your support. And this first season has been a success of this new show. We're closing an old show and feeling kind of sentimental about that. But we're really excited about this show and our other show on the channel. I look at my Star Trek toys soon to be just look at my toys as we've got ideas for that. So many things. And you can get in on the ground level. I feel like PBS right now. Uh, you want 13 <laughs> DVDs of Michael Bublé? They're still here. I'm willing to ship them. Uh, and also... <laughs> Would Keith, you like zero tote bags? Keith and I uh, have uh, been graced with a press access uh, with Playmates Toys, so we're going to get the new, uh, the new figures that are coming out Nude? this fall. It, well, who knows? They haven't showed up yet. Uh, when they arrive, that's going to be on the channel, so make sure to like and subscribe us here at K&M Entertainment. Thank you. Okay, well, there it is. Um, and no, uh, patrons, you cannot request uh, that Mike shave his mustache. It's occupational, folks. That, that's what it is. All right. But the so guy liner could are. stay. That's up to you. The guy liner, I think, should stay. <laughs> I think it's. I, I think we should really enjoy emo Mike here yeah, for... Here we uh, are. Here it is. <laughs> in the hands of the prophets. Let's uh, see how Mike feels about Space Karen. All right, so let us start talking about this episode, this is the season finale of season one. Now, you'll note, hey, uh, this is only episode 19. Why is it the season finale? Well, I can't exactly tell you because all the other seasons are 26 episodes. Uh, I'm assuming that was probably budgetary, but they planned ahead for it, I'm assuming. Um, but uh, So there's only 19 episodes in season one. Uh, and this episode aired... On June 20th, Sunday, June 20th, 1993, we continued uh, to be listening to the top song that uh, we're now starting to take some flack for not having heard. But Mike, uh, thankfully, I'm sure you have done the research, you have learned the song, and are going to give us a beautiful rendition of That's the Way Love Goes by Janet Jackson. You want to have some love, you better take that gummy, that's the way love goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a motorcycle clan going by. <laughs> Yeehaw. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be an odd episode. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, there's, there's no noise gate strong enough for where I am right now. Jenna Jackson's Ode to Edibles. Uh, huge. All right. Well, you hey. know something we might also be hearing through our cans depending on how that donkey evolves, the top movie continued to be Jurassic freaking Park, which took in another $38 million, uh, dominating the movie theaters. This is probably the week that I saw it, because I don't think we would have seen it like the first week. We were a little slow on the uptake, but uh, in uh, I think we went to the movie theaters in Shelburne, Vermont, to uh, Hop, watch skipping Jurassic a jump for me, actually. Park. 
I saw it in Wildwood, yes, it New Jersey uh, in the summer. We uh, went to this- Wildwood? Sh- yeah, this crazy, s- small, stupid, not a theater you want to see Jurassic Park in, uh, but that's where I saw Jurassic Park. Wow. Wildwood. Okay. So the uh, New York Times headline this week said uh, that billions in losses seen in mortgages, mortgages insured by HUD. The real estate market was in a downturn, uh, just like we're headed to now. Uh, here as the as the, the circle of life continues to spin out. This episode was directed by David Livingston, who last directed The Storyteller, which was terrible. Mm. Uh, but David Livingston is a uh, terrific director, so glad we are in good hands. And this episode was written by Robert Hewitt Wolf, who last directed The Passenger. So uh, I think now it is time, because I've got a boatload, a boatload of trivial trivia, Michael. Now, Keith, waste your time with trivial oh, trivia. Look at that. I'm wearing the trivial trivia sweater today. That's impressive, I have to say. I am impressed. Impressed that I'm wearing the, the sweater that I own? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> All right, so our first piece of trivial trivia for this episode is uh, is a couple of interesting little details here. When O'Brien tries to decode the ANA routine, the ANA routine, it spells out a bunch of interesting things because you have all of the, the numbers and letters spinning through, but if you slow it down, Did it say you Anna? can see that it, Anna, yes. Uh, it spells out a couple of things, including Gene Rod. Of course, uh. in reference to Gene Roddenberry. And it also spells out NCC 1701. Mike, do you do you know what NCC 1701 means in Star Trek canon? Uh, I don't. Is it something that's written on top of one of the Enterprises? It is the registry number for the Enterprise. And so the original NCC 1701 is Kirk and Spock's Enterprise. But of course, many ships have had the name Enterprise. And so the Picard Enterprise is NCC-1701-D because the registry number stays the same, but they get a letter that changes for each Enterprise. So okay. um, with the exception of the Enterprise from the show Enterprise, which didn't exist in canon until they did the show, so they couldn't call it the NCC-1701 as it should be, so they called it the NX because mm. it was a prototype. Um, there's a, a whole bunch of information that's interesting to a very small amount of people, but it's very interesting to us. So the next piece of trivial trivia is an early idea for this finale, and I'm a little bummed this didn't happen, was uh, to cross over with the next generation and they fight off a Cardassian invasion, which uh, would have been baller. And yeah, you could have convinced me of that. Yeah, it, it, it's... It's a little disappointing for the end of season one, but as we move forward in the series, I'm glad that they didn't do that yet uh, because that would have been uh, a little too much too early. It wasn't set up so that when we do have such events like that, Mike, no spoilers, uh, it is much more satisfying as we move forward. So I think that was also a budgetary issue. Uh, The next piece of trivia is the matte painting of the Bajoran city that we uh, we see when uh, Cisco goes mm-hmm. back to Bajor. 
is modified from the map painting they used in the pilot to show that repairs had been done. Oh, so cool. we see some progress happening on Bajor. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting and complex map painting because it has layers and pieces so that when they're moving the camera, you have a static piece that's moving independently of the background. And that's how you get some of the realism and 3D effect built into it, despite the fact that it's literally just a painting. Mm. Um, but uh, anyway, interesting. And I like that little detail there. They don't call attention to it, but you can see that progress is being made. This is the only season finale not to be written by future showrunner Ira Stephen Bear. Um, and uh, who has given us some, well, there's seven seasons. We have six terrific finales that we're going to get from Iris Stephen Bear moving forward. The graphic of the force fields going down, not surprisingly, is a reuse of the one from Dramatis Personae. So, um, again, reduce, reuse, recycle your CGI effects because those were expensive. The station's alert sound effect uh, that we hear after the explosion would be reused on Voyager when uh, they were playing with the idea of a bunch of different red alert sounds. So it is reused as red alert klaxon. And uh, that actually is a great question for my brother on the patron because he was working on Voyager at that point. I could ask him, uh, why did you uh, choose to use that? Did you have to? Uh, did you have access to the DS9 archives right there? You just pull it up. Probably he did on a uh, hard drive somewhere. Um, although the early sound effects were not done digitally, they were done on a synclavier. They had to do it all analog back in the eighties because huh. they didn't have computers that could handle it. So uh, crazy, like this big keyboard. He'll tell you about it, but. This uh, this big, it, what looks like a, an organ or keyboard with an actual like piano keyboard on it. It's how you manipulated the sound effects and and uh, you you know pitch them up and down and and this other thing. But so when my brother started, he had to buy his, his own one, and it was like a quarter of a million dollars, which is now a plugin that can go on your phone. So there you go. Um, <laughs> so two more pieces. The monastery scenes were filmed at Ferndell near Griffith Park. Uh, Griffith Park we see on Star Trek constantly, uh, but this Ferndell is actually the same place used for the holodeck sequence in the encounter at Farpoint, which is the... There's the donkey! <laughs> He's not a fan. doesn't get gated out. He's not a fan. No. Uh, but we, we return to uh, where Data was, uh, was in the... Or, no, it was Wesley who fell in the water. An encounter at Farpoint. Uh, so interesting to see that again. And lastly, Keiko's line asking about Neela, uh, who we'll, we will meet, uh, working out better than the last one, was a reference to O'Brien's first assistant, Anara, played by Benita Andre, who was originally going to be the assassin. Oh, so this was a different and actress than we've seen this This was rest a of the different season? actress than we've seen. Well, we saw her last week. Okay. But earlier in the season, there was another assistant who looked pretty similar that they were going to use as this, and it didn't work out <laughs> for reasons that I don't, I do not know. Um, but the name of the force field override program, Anna, A-N-A, is the first three letters of Anara, the original character's name. 
So that's what, uh, I think that's what definitely... confused me. And I was, I was, I had jokingly and druggedly <laughs> said, druggedly. <laughs> that, I have uh, never used heard that druggedly. That's yeah. a great word. I don't know that it's real, but I maybe it's canon now. It's yeah. real now. And I was like, oh, what a sh- crappy thing. I thought she was working her way into this, into the series. She was getting herself like a series regular. Maybe they'd bump her up. But then once you, once you murder somebody or attempted murder, uh, it's, it doesn't work out well for you usually. Yeah, yeah. She, I think she assassinated her hopes of continuing on the show. All right. So our guest stars this week include Philip Anglum as, as Burial. The first time we meet Burial. Now, Mike, do you remember... Uh, in uh, our our toys series, that uh, perhaps we have a toy of uh of Vedic Burial. No, nah, I mean, if I really was like good at my job, I'd have that. I'd have the crossover right here. I would have it playing from our old episode, but that's probably not happening. Uh, and if I were good at my job, I would have remembered to go grab the at toy. Least, and yes, I can show at, you right now. <laughs> which so would have been saved us both a lot of there time. There it is. <laughs> Just put it in my hand. No. Put it in post. No, you're lucky to hear the donkey. Um. I don't remember, but that was well, quite early there on. Are. Well, there's a toy. There's yeah. a toy. Uh, we also have Robin Christopher as Neela, of course. Uh, Rosalind Chow is back as Keiko. And, of course, needing very little introduction, we have the legendary Louise Fletcher as the first appearance of Win Adami. Now, Mike, do you, you know what Louise Fletcher is famous for, yes? No, but she's just as big as a pain in the ass in this episode as Jessica Fletcher is on every episode of Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> Jessica Fletcher. Well, uh, you know that Louise Fletcher uh, is, a, uh, is a legend, has an Oscar for playing a legendary villain. Can you imagine who that would be? No. In a movie directed by Milos Forman, starring Jack Nicholson. The Shining? And no. Cuckoo's Nest? Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Oh, she's, she's Nurse, Nurse Ratched. Ratched. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, yes. She, she absolutely. already. Yes. Yeah. It, uh, it, it totally makes sense now, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay. Well, there we go. I think it is high time. For us to hop into the screening room and talk our way through in the hands of the prophet. Hey Keith, what are you doing today? You uh, you want to play Pugsley Adams? What a what now? You want to play Pugsley Adams? Yes, I would. I would be an amazing Pugsley Adams, especially like in the uh, in the original. Like, it, like he it, it was a heavier set fellow can sing high. Like that's me. I just uh, just got a text that ours has COVID, so we could use you. Oh, oh shit! Yeah. Okay. Do you have an understudy for Pugsley? No, but we got some ensemble women that are like forty-five years old. I guess we can make it work. Okay, well, I <laughs> tonight I, might be the know, night I, to come half, check it out, folks. <laughs> I have half a mind to get in my car and head upstate. <laughs> my God, that would be funny. Oh my God, <laughs> I would love to see what happens there. Okay, so Ooh, girl, here we are, uh, Deep Space Nine in the hands of the prophets. In the teaser, O'Brien tries to sell Keiko on a jumja stick. 
Colomini adds some sauce to the ridiculous dialogue, and it's awesome. Yep. Uh, that was definitely like... Also, let me, let me double apologize uh, for those of you on the main feed who might, you know, jump into the patron now. We hope you do. Welcome to the team. And they wa- you only watched this last week of me watching. I think I called her Kiko for like 20 minutes. And I'd like to apologize if that was offensive to anyone. It, absolutely Keiko, not Kiko. But, you know, in my defense, I was stoned. Wow. <laughs> that is not a, uh, I, I wasn't expecting that paragraph of dialogue, <laughs> but that'll come back to haunt you. Yeah, add, add it to the uh, list of things you weren't expecting today, Keith. Uh, indeed. So, uh, anyway, I call like, jump jaw fruit. Yeah. Uh, I think that was, that was Kalamini like, this is ridiculous. I'm going to make it work. And because he's Kalamini, he can't. Double down. So Keiko asks about his hot new assistant. Keiko's a little concerned about where O'Brien wants to put his jum jaw stick. She's salty. She's a little salty. Saltier I mean, than that jum jaw. Like, yeah. Indeed, indeed. So uh, Keiko, they walk over to uh, to the schoolroom, and Keiko is teaching a class to an entirely different classroom set. They're discussing the wormhole when dun 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 in comes Nurse Ratched Vedic Win. Keiko explains that the wormhole was created by the entities Cisco met in the pilot, but uh-oh, Win is all you better not be teaching evolution. Uh, so big uh we we get we get our basic story immediately there. Uh Keiko keeps trying to be a responsible teacher when Win confronts her in the most condescending way possible. Keiko tells her that her job is to teach science and Win's job is to teach the spiritual teachings. Wynn accuses her of teaching blasphemy. Shots fired. Mike apparently didn't take any screenshots of that. Well, Mike was in a different planet at this particular moment. (laughs) So if you remember any of this, what were you feeling about our first appearance of Kai Wynn or Vedic Wynn? Well, I, I remember feeling that you had mentioned Space Karen, so it made me laugh. I giggled. Uh... Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's 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 striking how prescient this was. Mm. Obviously, I mean, not that this is like a a new thing or an old thing. This in time, in in perpetuity. I mean, we've dealt with this type of thing, but it seems specifically uh, topical for the past six to eight years of, and even now, like, mm. what are we te- critical race theory, or what are we teaching in schools, and should we have different? Uh, um, uh, curriculums and and that that sort of thing and how kind of ridiculous it is and and actually uh, not to editorialize so and and just how soapbox Mike how interesting it is I think and, and we can talk about this later obviously that how how difficult it is to have a a rational conversation which they attempt to do at, at certain times in this episode. When one of those parts of the conversation is religious, religion or spirituality based, because when you have someone who's trying to have a factual conversation with uh, a philosophy that is not factually based, regardless of whether, you know, you truly believe it or whatnot, that that aside, not getting into those weeds, it's a it's a difficult conversation to have because you're using two separate bases of reality. It's it's hard to do, well, which it's, is it's, why I think Kira's line, which I don't know if we've got to yet, is no pretty pretty interesting when she said when because i think cisco is about to say 
uh, well, how are we going to deal with this? We have to deal with it. So how are we going to deal with it? And and Kira says, well, I don't know that maybe we can't. And that's that's sometimes the quagmire we maybe find ourselves in. Well, and that's, you know, and I think that's <laughs> without hopping on the soapbox immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's hop on the soapbox immediately. I, I think the issue that we're that we're going to be discussing here in terms of the education um, is. um <sighs> Can you teach at the same time? Um, It's almost like using two different numerical systems, right? So if you take religion and science out of it, right, we in our society live in a 10-based numerical system, right? And you can't really have a a numerical system that's not 10-based and 10-based coexist because you're you know your 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 basis on your architecture on which you you know put information and describe information and analyze information is just different mm. so it's it it's sort of you know it's it's windows and mac os like they don't collaborate so you kind of have to separate them without without necessarily calling balls and strikes on which one is more valid they don't coexist because they they they're mutually exclusive based on whether or not you are analyzing information through the scientific method or not. And so you, it is, they're incompatible. And, and I think that that is, you know, the, the Cisco and the Starfleet perspective is like, okay, great. Teach both at separate times. But uh, you know, where Wynn is coming in, it's not that I want you to teach my side as I want you not to teach the other side. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get in the wrong in my opinion. Okay, so in Act 1, O'Brien's assistant, Neela, has fixed something. O'Brien is impressed. They're about to close up a security lock, but O'Brien's EJ7 tool is missing. Neela pretends she doesn't know what that means. He's confused. He doesn't misplace his tools. You know what I mean. Uh, so then Keiko goes to there's a lot of talk about tools with the uh with the, the yeah. cute assistant just we'll say that's this isn't a wormhole but it's from the get the actress playing neela here is she acting real hard well i mean yeah the whole I mean, episode which, she, real she's hard playing like six different six different things going on uh, i'm just saying it, it was I, I could feel it I mean, she she she's definitely like interested in his EJ seven. You there's know, no, I think you probably no like subtle, yeah, yeah, but like no subtle nuance. But like EJ five and a half. I mean, EJ seven. I don't know, but that's uh, asking. There all. it is. Oh, so depends on the angle. <laughs> all right, <laughs> that's terrible. Anyway, so Keiko goes to Cisco to complain about Win. Kira joins and explains that Win is from an Orthodox order, and she's trying to become the next Kai. All right, so. Uh, you you understand the Vedic Kai whole yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. So she she wants to become the new pope. Although interestingly, what was I guess makes sense. I, you know, all that we had seen about Kaiupaka and that whole the reverence and everything. I guess I it wasn't clear earlier that how how political the actual vying mm, for the, the you know is. it's 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 less current day pope where they just kind of like put some smoke and it's a whole thing and you know and less old pope where it was very political and cutthroat kind of thing well well what i but i but i would say i mean certainly um even i mean becoming pope today is every bit as political i mean it's it's 
I suppose you know, we only you, see the pageantry, right? We're not really seeing the behind the behind well, the scenes. We're not in there with the College of Cardinals, right? You know, we're not we're not in them as they're campaigning with each other. Um, and of course, like you know, all the 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 debates about whether you get a progressive or a or a traditional, whether you're pulling from pulling from Italy or Europe, or whether you're trying, to, you know, like it's very political. Um, but uh, but anyway, here certainly we're we're telling the story of, um, and and I think for. Uh, for Cayopaca, and it's probably similar for the Pope, right? It's super political until you become Pope, and then you're able to set aside the politics because you're Pope now. And so uh, I would imagine that is probably how uh, Opaca felt about it. Um, so uh, Kira's kind of taken wind side about teaching religion in class, um, saying that maybe you should pull the Bajoran students out and uh, teach them differently. Keiko says, hell no. Kira suggests a different school for Bajoran kids, as I said. And Kira says, uh, some things, uh, some might say, pure science taught without a spiritual context is a philosophy as well. Um, because she's saying, like, you know, you're, you're trying to teach philosophy in science. Um, which is an interesting point. Um, I don't necessarily agree, but I understand it, it's an interesting point of view to put in there. Um, so, a Cisco goes to meet Vedic Wynn in the chapel. And Wynn says she's honored to meet the emissary. Um, but I think we see here that regardless of, you know, Wynn being a big bad here, she does take Cisco's role as the emissary very seriously. Um, she grabs his ear and checks his paw, and she can tell from that that she's still a disbeliever. Um in one of our comments below, we were talking about the ear grabbing thing, and um, that it was posited that the Bajorans might be a little bit touch, uh, touch telepathic, mm. or touch empathic, and that makes perfect sense. And I, I that sort of fixed it for me. It's like why why the ear grabbing? What's going on with that? And how can they tell stuff? And that totally makes sense. Why wouldn't they? I also um, love that little... it's sort of it's in line with uh, the Ferengi and their the sensitivity of the ears and how uh, it's kind of interesting that we've got a lot of, uh, energy and, uh, pleasurable zones, things revolving around like choosing the ear to be a, uh, a, a center rather than, you know, we're very eye based as, mm-hmm. as humans. And it's cool to see other species having different senses be heightened in, in different ways. It's kind of cool. Yeah. It's, it is interesting and also, uh, fits in the four by three aspect ratio. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> there's really actually a shot funny. in this episode we'll get to later i think i got a screenshot speaking of the four by three it, it was the perfect I, four by three you know yep, the one i'm talking I noted about it yeah. too where it's like yep, everybody I, just I, make sure you sit okay let's let's tighten it up let's get in get in okay good mm-hmm. it's it was like theatrical staging everybody yeah. 45 degree angle touch in touch in mm-hmm. screet 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 everyone between two and four yep, yep. uh anyway <laughs> uh she can tell that he's still a disbeliever when claims that the prophets have told her through the orbs to stop the blasphemous teaching. Um, and uh, her, this doesn't ping you yet, uh, but moving forward, the prophets talking to her through the orbs, uh, her saying that is going to be an interesting little contextual thing as we move forward. Some have uh, said, some orbs say. Some orbs say, stop the teaching. Okay, so in Act Two, I'm so glad you picked that up and ran with it because I, I I knew there was something to be mined, but you really found it. Okay, 
So in Act 2, O'Brien and Neela are still looking for O'Brien's missing tool. He's pissed. He's like, I said you could borrow that chainsaw, but to bring it back, and you son of a bitch didn't bring it back. You better be dead. You better be dead. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of important. It's dangerous because that tool gives you access to a lot of security stuff on the station. Uh... Which is which is odd. It's like a it's like a password tool. Yeah, lock it up, dude. Oh, you know what it is? It's it's the equivalent of those like fancy complex keys to open the 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 subway uh, drivers' doors. There you go. Uh, which have always struck me as a security. Take my tools risk. and anyway. I'll put it back. You better be dead. Oh wait. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, and then we find out, oh, you is dead. Uh, Dax says Ensign Aquino is missing, but we don't know if that's important yet. We'll get there. So, uh, O'Brien and Neela scan for Tritanium, which is what the tool is made out of. And they find it in a power conduit. And it's all melted and gooey. And he finds organic material in the goo. They plan to take it to Bashir to discover that, yup, it's probably Ensign Aquino. So, uh, how's this mystery unraveling for you here, Mike? Um, quickly, abruptly, but uh, I like that it was... At this point, I thought it was going to be the super main storyline. So, it's it's nice that the episode kind of swerves. Because I was like, there's no way they're going to spend a whole episode about the political stuff. It just doesn't seem... It doesn't seem enough for the episode. Like, I... The school thing, I was like, it's interesting, but it's like, no, it doesn't feel like a big enough idea for Trek for their season finale. Mm. Um, but uh, as many times as I've been many times this season, I was wrong. And that's cool. I like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think, you know, it's funny that you say that. Uh, I get it from a season finale because it's not as action heavy. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the idea of um, politics and religion and science and that kind of stuff, that is so very much um in keeping with with Trek, but specifically in Deep Space Nine, because you know, getting into uh, religion and faith and and both the politics and the the actual faith part is not something that Trek does a lot, except for Deep Space Nine, where it's very important. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, so um, O'Brien goes with Keiko to buy another Jumjaw stick. But Can't the Bajoran shop owner refuses to sell it to O'Brien because of Keiko's heresy. Uh, so we're starting to see the cracks showing uh, that uh, that Wynn is creating. Um, they arrive at the school to find that Vedic Wynn is preaching to the students. And she can feel O'Brien's anger and forgives him for it. Uh, oh, she's so annoying. She's magnificently condescending. She's awful. That's what I wrote. <laughs> Seems like she's she's directing a, a a community theater production of Joseph here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I would watch <laughs> Kai wins or would Vedic you wins, Joseph. Uh, Joseph, that would be uh, that would be amazing. Uh, she tries to make a compromise just to limit what Keiko can teach. Keiko again says, "Hell no." So Vedic Wynn pulls all the Bajoran kids out of the school. And uh, that is the end of Act 2. I feel like half of those uniforms were, were reused from Next Generation for the kids, for the uniforms. 
the costumes there. Some of those look very space familiar. Hey, welcome um, back, Jake. <laughs> oh yeah, Jake's back. Yep. Uh, and he's like, I'm like 17, but whatever. Yeah, it's cool. I'm, I'm in the same class with these eight year olds. Look at my very inclusive so set of friends. That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so in Act 3, in Ops, our heroes are trying to figure out what happened to Aquino. The Cardassian safety standards suck, so maybe it was an accident. O'Brien's not convinced because he borrowed his tool. He's really big on the tool. Mm-hmm. Starfleet engineers don't borrow tools without asking. Uh, Odo is naturally suspicious. So Jake comes to visit his dad. Keiko has kept teaching, though there are only four students left, and she changed the lesson plan to teach about Galileo and the Inquisition. Uh, Jake picked up on the subtext. And uh, I think it's a very interesting discussion they have here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jake calls Bajoran beliefs dumb, and Sisko calls him on it. He points out that one of the things that helped the Bajoran survive for 50 years of occupation was their faith. And it was their only source of hope and strength. And I think that that was um, a really excellent way to sort of, you know, Jake's point of view, totally understandable, especially in this context. But I think, um, you know, pointing out the value of it that it gave the Bajoran people was very, um, very well done, very well handled. And I liked that it was Cisco who did that. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting, and one of the things we'll talk about later, I'm going to plant a seed, put a pin in it so you remind me to discuss it a little more. I, I love in this episode the sort of, I'm going to make up a word here, Switzerlandistic approach by by Cisco. He has to really, he really gives deference to both sides of the argument for the most part, for as long as he can, until yeah. it's clear that uh, both sides aren't acting in good faith. And I think that right. in order to accentuate that, and I, it's an issue I kind of have with the episode I'm feeling, uh, and remember I only have like 24 hours to really process this uh, before we have these discussions, but I feel as if they sort of polarize some of the other conversation. They push some characters to the further sides of the argument. Like I really have sort of trouble with Kira's whole part in this episode i feel like Mm. i feel like as as a as as a member of this team and the journey she's been on this season that she would be less she would be less uh conservative i guess the conservative viewpoint and 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 willing to engage in a compromise early in the episode um and they often do that with kira i find they they push her to an extreme a more extreme viewpoint early in an episode so that she can have a journey towards the end. Um, it just felt a little, a little heavy handed to me, her viewpoint well, in this episode. I'll, I'll, I'll defend that. Okay. And I, and, and I, I think a um, couple of things that we have learned about Kira. One is that her faith is very important to her. Yes, obviously. And she is, um, and, and she is still a believer in the institution in, in addition to the faith. And that, um, which which is which is a separate thing, mm-hmm. right? Because you have the faith, and then you have the religious institutions. So, because we're sort of doing a um, a take on Catholicism here, you know, you I, I know plenty of people who believe in the Catholic faith mm-hmm. that do not carry that faith into the institution itself. So that 
you know, like I believe very much in the faith, I believe in the teachings, but the Catholic Church and like the the Pope isn't like infallible to me. The Pope is, you know, is is a is a whatever. But I also know plenty of people who believe in the faith and the institution, so that you know the Pope, you know, it's it's like believing in the presidency, mm-hmm. not the president, right? And yeah, I, and I okay. Think, I'll counter that with, and, and my point isn't, is, and yes, that nuanced perspective I think is, is, is very well performed and written most of the time with Kira. However, last week we saw her with a, basically a, a Hitler, a Goebbels symbiote. And even in that extreme with her extreme feelings, she was still able to say, I'm, I have to put that aside and have a logical and fair investigation and yet, within the first eleven seconds of this episode, she's like, "Eh, just separate the kids, pull the Bajorans out, and give them their own school, right?" Like, no well, nuance, no. Well, yes. Although I think there are plenty of, you know, it's like sending your kids to a Catholic school, right? Many people do, and and it's like it's not quite as extreme as. I just that. But, I, I I expected Kira to be. Well, I, let me. I'll simplify. It's because I don't. It's not really an argument. I I I thought Kira has at this point she would have been a little more team Cisco and a little more like, well, let's broker, yeah. let's broker something here. You know, anyway, let's yeah. continue. No, I, I, but it's, I, I think it's interesting. It's an interesting layer for the, for the character. And, and it's like, I, I can see why she ends up there. I, I can see meanwhile, why she starts there. Meanwhile, I always find it kind of funny in the few episodes where there have been like straight up murders. Mm-hmm. Eh, it's never like a, a there's never hysteria. It's always very sort of like, all right, let's well, let's just like play it slowly and see what happens. Well, I mean, look, the uh, Deep Space Nine is much more Deadwood than the Enterprise. Yeah, that's fair. It's like, all right, well, you know, it's happening. Not only is somebody <laughs> dead, but they got gooed. You know, they were liquefied. Full of, well, they're not sure that it wasn't an accident yet. Okay. Uh, but but yeah. By the way, um, by the way, yeah. The current leading suspect at this point that no one has mentioned is O'Brien because he's real pissed about the tool. <laughs> if like if Odo had to do an investigation right now, leading suspect O'Brien had access to the tool, mm-hmm, pissed off mm-hmm. about the tool. Yeah, found the goo. Found the goo. Yeah, no, he's very interested in the investigation. That's always a bad sign. <laughs> so uh, Cisco. Goes oh so at, at the end of the Jake scene he uh, Cisco advises Jake not to be like Win from the other side yeah right there you go fair uh, and Jake interestingly can tell that his father is worried um, and I think that's a it's interesting that Jake is that perceptive about his father and can tell like ooh this is kind of a big deal was I did I mistake the Wesley character for Jake in that like people were annoyed by the character in the first season because I think uniformly the actor playing Jake has been excellent this season yeah um yeah i mean wesley definitely gets a lot more hate than jake does okay i think they're especially in this scene i was like this is a really this is a really skilled actor yeah well i mean they're both terrific actors i think wesley was written pretty annoying in the Mm -hmm. first season of of uh of next gen but i mean he's a terrific actor yeah oh yeah Uh, i wasn't qualified i just meant like the, the perception yeah 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 no exactly um so cisco goes to Bajor in search of help. He goes to meet Vedic Barail, who is the cool young liberal priest. And uh, Barail talks about how annoying the ear-grabbing thing is. He's Barail uh, O'Rourke. He's basically Beto. <laughs> he's, 
<laughs> that's exactly right. That's a hundred percent who he is. <laughs> um, so uh, drop a couple f bombs, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's he's the cool guy. Yeah. So uh, and Burial began his service as at the monastery as a gardener, but the prophets called on him to be a Vedic. They discuss when. Um, as a large fence appears out of nowhere that Cisco awkwardly has to climb over, uh, <laughs> despite, all right. So that shot is perfect. Go back and watch this guys, because this is like from a staging directing a mess because they're standing together. Burrell takes two steps and, and casually walks over to that new spot. Then, mm-hmm. yeah, then he, he's back. maybe six feet away from him. Right. And then all of a sudden. No, he's a, a huge fence, and he and like he's on he's on this little like rock in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the stream there, and Cisco has to awkwardly climb over the fence and like dive onto this pod like a video game, uh, and so yeah, that was uh, oops, yeah. <laughs> go back and watch it; it's hilarious. Um, so uh, we learn that apparently Burial is the front runner to be the new Kai, replacing Kai Opaka. So, um, you know, and this is a very similar thing to the College of Cardinals and, and determining the new pope. You have the, the young progressive or you go with the traditionalist and you sort of fight it out about who you want to be putting in as, as Kai. Um, but uh, Burial knows that Cisco wants to talk to the Vedic Assembly but they won't meet with him. Some think are afraid that he's a representative of the godless federation and others fear him as the emissary. And most of them fear him because Wynne told them to. So uh, lots of politics happening in the Vedic assembly, causing uh, a lot of political mess here. And he plants this thing. I don't know. Hey, look, you you left the screenshot, so I want. I feel like we had to oh, address it. I, I thought that was in your summary, and I was like, yeah, we were on the same page. All right. <laughs> uh, Burial says he can be a better friend to Cisco when he's Kai, but can't now because it will hurt his chances of being Kai. And uh, Cisco calls him out mm-hmm. on the the politics of it all, and I think he's right. Yeah, he's right. I mean, we. You know, even though he's he's the cool, hip, young, liberal uh, Vedic here, uh, he's still playing the politics. He's, yeah. He still wants the gig. Um, and uh, it's interesting that, um, it, and, and I really like that they add this character. It's not quite a flaw, but it's it's the, the little bit of a pragmatist. In Burial, because, you know, normally you write this character to be just the universally good guy. Mm-hmm. And and you don't add this little, you know, little twist of ambition in him, which I think makes the character more interesting and uh, and more valid. Uh, more, more realistic, really. Um, so uh, back at the station, Cisco arrives on ops and realizes that a lot of the Bajoran staff have now called in sick. And uh, Kira's a little salty. And Cisco comes down on her and tells her to get the Bajorans back. Um, you know, and and I think maybe this is where I agree with you on on her, like, 
like oh, okay right you, you you have to like navigate your your faith in this kind of stuff but like eh, we know kira's gonna do her job mm-hmm. right and she's gonna be able to to compartmentalize even though i feel like yeah maybe i'm not such a big fee you know maybe i maybe i don't love teaching yeah, evolution like, the kira, but like my I'm point do my job perfectly my point if the kira we have come to know would have punched that jump jaw guy in the face and been like sell him the goddamn jump jaw you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, or that's not cool. Yeah. No, you know what? That's exactly right. It's like, I, I may agree with you in sentiment, mm-hmm. but like, we got we're not going to do that. Yeah. No, you know what? I think you're 100% right. I, uh, Folks, mark it, get the timestamp, <laughs> cut it out, send it to me. Keith just said uh-huh. that. Hey, you know, I say you're right occasionally. You're occasionally right. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, where am I? Uh, yeah, so Odo and Bashir show up and announce that Aquino, Aquina wasn't killed by the plasma discharge, but a phaser set to kill and then left in the conduit to get zapped to cover up the murder. Uh, so that, which is an interesting li- little wrinkle there. And yes, we will address that. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's a, it, an interesting and smart little wrinkle there, right? So you the murderer left the body somewhere they knew it would be liquefied because like I, I imagine, especially in Star Trek time with the forensics that they have body disposal gets a little harder when you're in space Yeah, uh, and covering up your murder. And this was a clever way to do it. Uh, all right. So in act four, there's an all staff meeting where they all have to stand really, really close to each other to fit in the four by three screen. Uh, and you can see in the screenshot here, everyone angle in, angle in. It's just like you're getting your uh, your photos taken at a wedding. Amazing. It's, I mean, oh, four by three. The, what you have to do. But, you know, it. we notice it now because we're paying far too close attention to all of this. But, like, I didn't notice it the first time. But the... Because remember a couple of times, a couple of episodes ago, we had another staff meeting where they were all sitting on chairs around tables, but the chairs themselves had to be put in uh, in fancy angles so that right. they could all fit in the shot. Uh, I'm trying to fix things here. Hard to fit full here. cast into yeah. a shot. No, and I'm I'm trying to cover for you. I'm 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 filling time while Mike fights with the screenshots, but I think it's gonna it's gonna happen. Close. You're so close. We're so close. You're only one scene. You're like one scene behind. Uh, this is what we do, folks. I don't know if you know, but we do this live. Uh, we don't do a heck of a lot of editing on our little show here. And we're back. Boom. Just like that. So uh, Neela and O'Brien scan the runabout looking for clues. Oh, and they, they discover that the whoever this murderer was trying to get to a runabout. Uh, so they uh, scan the runabout for clues. There's nothing. They sit down and talk about Aquino a bit. She says that the Bajoran and Starfleet offers officers don't socialize much she's a little flirty and uh he sends her away before she sees the jump jaw stick in his jumpsuit uh yeah so i ignore i like that he acknowledges that it got a little weird that's what i like about this it's not just like subtext or whatever even he's like he's basically he almost verbatim says get your shit together o'brien to himself yeah no and i and i think I, i think that's Again, one of the things that I like most about Deep Space Nine is the little nuances and the little character beats and the little elements of humanity <laughs> in this. Um, you know, both with uh, 
with Barile's ambition. And here with this, you see that O'Brien's like, woof, yep. Uh, he shows some humanity and vulnerability in a way that, you know, Star Trek is not great at showing a character's even minor flaws, even vulnerability. There's like this very rigid, like, I'm a Starfleet officer. I do exactly the right thing at all the time. And just this little beat here is like, yeah, O'Brien is, O'Brien's clocking what's happening here. And O'Brien, uh, yeah, O'Brien knows she's cute. And he's, he's feeling it, but he's also the the man of integrity and is able to sort of, you know, pull his shit together, like you said. And I think that that is really um, the, uh, I don't know, it's a good character. I, I really like it. So uh, on the promenade, Quark and Oda discuss a bunch, uh, they discuss a bunch of orthodox Bajorans arriving on the station to support Wynn. Quark is thrilled because the orthodox like the Dabo girls more than anything else. Deep cut. It's yeah, well, you know, it's like when you have to bus in more prostitutes because the RNC's in town. <whistles> Which they did and do. <laughs> Which isn't to say that they don't do it for the other conventions, but uh, my understanding is that they need more of them for that particular flavor. Anyway, so Odo asks Quark if he knows. I, was, I wrote that down. I'm like, should I say that? Should I not say that? I'm going to say Apparently, Hashtag it said. Hashtag I'm going to hear about it in the comments. So Odo asks Quark if he knows about the murder. Quark says he doesn't know anything. Then O'Brien shows up. He had a great line, too. He has that great line. You wound me. You wound me. There, I mean, there will they, won't they, is one of my favorite parts of the whole show. Uh, So uh, then O'Brien shows up (laughs) on the far side of the promenade to show just how large the set is. (laughs) Hey! Um, and but it's cool. I mean, it, it oh, yeah. really adds a sense of depth and perspective and like, wow, that really is an actual practical giant set. Uh, then uh, he shows Odo a security bypass from a different runabout pad. So um, that doesn't make any sense the way I described it. Uh, but there was a it got, got the little USB stick, which is the security bypass that they were searching one runabout pad for. And uh, that had been cleaned, but they found it in a different runabout pad. That doesn't make any sense yet, but it will later, maybe. So Odo puts it all together. That uh, it all happened because somebody was trying to steal a runabout. Then there's a huge explosion. The school has been bombed. Boom. Like, big explosion here. Again, practical effects. Looks great. Uh, Luckily, Keiko was not inside. Um, not sure why they revealed that before the commercial break, not after the commercial break. Um, forget Keiko. uh, Were were there any kids in there? I guess not. If school was out. Apparently we didn't care about that at at this point. Uh, but, uh, again, cool practical effects and, you know, stuff that wouldn't happen today. Right. There's no way that in your internal set, you would necessarily risk putting that much fire. It's all CGI now. And it doesn't look as good. Guy with who's tasked with putting out the fire, clearly wearing a fire protection suit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the hose didn't shoot anything. It was like he was blowing air onto the fire, which I don't know if you've ever tried to put out a fire. Blowing air on it doesn't help. Not generally, no. Um, but, you know, Star Trek. So uh, we begin Act 5. They investigate the wreckage, and a giant crowd has gathered. 
Vedic Wynne arrives and asks if anyone was hurt. Sisko holds her responsible for inspiring the bomber. He publicly confronts her in front of all of her constituents. She accuses him of not having a soul and trying to describe to destroy them. Um, you know, and it, this episode so prescient, right? Mm-hmm. And not, re- I mean, because like it, it's not prescient. It's just we deal with these things all the time. You know, the 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 battle between science and religion, religion and education, whether a leader is responsible for the behavior of the of their followers. That you're, you know. You know, it's 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 like a it's a whole big thing. If your if your rhetoric is is like that, and you inspire crazy people to do crazy things, like how are you responsible? And Cisco says you are responsible, and I agree. Yeah, it's a showdown, and Cisco calls her out. He knows that the Bajorans on the station know that after a year, that the Federation is not evil. He's like, look, we've been here for a year. We've developed a relationship with the with the people here, but of course. Uh, Wynn is bussing them in from off the station who don't know that the hardliners. So, uh, and she's all like, she's all like, everybody brings nuclear papers home from work. (laughs) We're just laying it on thick. There it is. Demonetized. We just just lost (laughs) half of our subscribers. Actually, not half with Star Trek fans. Anyway. uh, So I, First off, I go back to that screenshot before because I, I really like, uh, Wynn's costume there. So cool, so cool. Like there's there's so many like silly Star Trek head dresses and costumes that looks, the the word I'd, I'd say it looks imperious. Yep, which That's is one hundred percent exactly what you want it to. The costume in here continues the storytelling about the character. I also and think, I think it's excellent. It, the the costume accentuates her as a religious figure but also as like you said an imperialistic and also you know for for my for my qualms about Kira's build this episode her character build was perfectly paced it was it was aghast at the beginning apparent apparently rational throughout the first few acts and then it's clear that it was premeditated and that she was it was uh the, the the trap was set and sprung, and then it gets yeah, and gets and then becomes just like full on scene chewy evil by the end. No, it's 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 so much fun, um, and it's uh, I I I think about um, Harry Potter. I think you know it's not the only character like this, but I think Rowling lifted a lot from Kai Wynn for Dolores Umbridge, mm. um, with this sort of like sing-songy, condescending, let's all be good, let's all be reasonable while being flat-out evil. Uh, I think there's a lot of Kai Wynn in, uh, in, in Dolores Umbridge. Uh, anyway, so after Cisco leaves, uh, Wynn shares a very suspicious nod with Neela. So very subtle. So subtle. So subtle. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> On Ops, O'Brien tells Cisco that Keiko is going to reopen the school in a cargo bay. Um, and of course, it's like Jake will be there. And uh, Dax announces a transmission from Burial. He's on his way to the station. He thanks Cisco for his invitation to tour the station, uh, which of course he did not make. So Burial's had a change of thought, change of heart. And he's going to, like, you know what? I got to get into this. 
and he offers his help cleaning up the station. Wink. In the chapel, Neela secretly meets with Wynn. Um, go ahead. No, it could have been a really cool reveal here had they not just like sprayed it all over the place. Wink, wink, wink. I think it would have been a cool reveal. <laughs> it would have been. Yeah, we didn't. We well, we needed one of these two beats. The wink itself, I think, was enough. Or we do this scene. I don't yeah. think we need to do both. Okay, yeah. Um, but they were like, "Look at this set." I, well, they you know the chapel set is great. So uh, anyway, so Neela tells Wynn that they found out about the runabout, i.e., she has no way to escape anymore, and if she's caught, she will be executed. We don't know the plan yet, uh, but uh, something's going on, and Wynn says, tough shit. <laughs> um, so, uh, on ops, O'Brien notices a subprogram named Anna. The uh, computer says that there's a password set up. Now, this is a subprogram have... next to the other subprogram that he created to like hide the little puppy dog being. The puppy dog program. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of subprograms. Yeah. Like, if it's like if you open my my desk drawers, just like a lot of nonsense in there that you don't really want to know. It looks everything looks really clean on the desk, but don't open the drawers. Uh, where am I? You're really so nailing the these computer, analogies today, buddy. Just knocking them out of the park. I, you know, we do a morning episode. I'm ready to go. I'm a morning person. So, uh, the password has supposedly been set up by him, but he obviously didn't, and so he and Dax start to try and break the password. Uh, Vedic Boreal shows up on the station, and they are there's a flock of excited Bajorans to meet him. Like I said, he's the cool one. Everyone's excited, and that we see Neela watching from uh, from above, all suspicious like. We get it. She's suspicious. Uh, O'Brien finally breaks the code in a way that uh, we were watching. Uh, uh, we watched uh, the movie They Them last night. I thought it was going to be good. It was not good. But anyway, so in there, there's a little scene where they're trying to break a phone password, which is the same thing that they're, that O'Brien is doing here by running one of those like simulator codes where they just try every possible, you know, combination of all those things, uh, which wouldn't work today because phones lock you out after a certain amount of failure. So that doesn't work. And I imagine the same thing would happen on Deep Space Nine. But I guess in... In 1993, I would understand that you hadn't thought that there would be a, a lockout system for that. But uh, today's time, uh, that was like a weird little thing. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and it's like the, uh, ma- the magic password is like four digits. Four digits, yeah. That can be, you have unlimited tries to try and get through. Uh, so uh, O'Brien finally breaks the code and finds out what it does is designed to drop the force fields between the promenade and the runabout pad, i.e. an escape route. And you can see on the screenshot there that reused footage of the uh, force fields dropping in the program. Uh, They search for anomalies and find out that some sort of something was done in the security office nine minutes ago. Uh, So something's going down. Uh, Barile on the promenade, goes to meet Wynn in the chapel. Not in the promenade. I shouldn't have added that. Just read Just read what you wrote, Keith. What are you doing? Sorry, buddy. He casually blocks her ear grab, which is which is really clever. Awesome. She goes for his ear. He's like, let's hold hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they all head to the school, including Neela. And lots of kids O'Brien, on shoulders. 
kids on shoulders, lots of extras. That's where all the budget went, one of the extras today. Uh, O'Brien goes to the security office. On the screen is a picture of a Ferengi, but it looks like a model, not a picture. Um, but clearly, it's a reference to Odo just tracking Quark constantly. Uh, O'Brien realizes that Neela has shut down the weapon detectors on the promenade, um, which is uh, interesting and good to know that there are weapon detectors on the promenade. And uh, so Vedic Boreal begins making a speech with Wynn, uh, apparently with his back to most of the audience. There it is. So we're, I'm going to hold hands with Wynn, give a speech, and not look at any of the people I'm talking to. <laughs> Although, to be fair, it is the promenade is a ring, so there are people on both sides. But it, it's wrong, just baby. interesting. I mean, I got it from a practical, like, shooting. You need to show the crowd and them. But it, it's kind of weird and awkward. Um, so uh, O'Brien tells Cisco that it's Neela. Uh, and so she's the the one who uh, is up to the whatever. Cisco sees her in the crowd. She pulls a phaser. She fires. Cisco tackles her. She misses. We have a big action sequence. So uh, what did you think about here? So we, here we have the big assassination attempt. On I, I had to watch it twice, Keith, because hmm. it and maybe You're crazy stoned. Well, yes. Yes. Uh, but also, not crazy, but enough. Uh, it's funny to say crazy right now because I'm so, I say it a bunch in the show, but I have to say crazy. Um, crazy. Crazy. All these happy, crazy people. Uh, so it's hard to say it with no dialect now. Anyway, I had to watch it a couple times because it was surprising to me that they had it all set up for, for Cisco to have like this heroic moment and all these things flash by. I was like, Cisco's going to get shot instead. He's going to take the bullet. He's That's how he becomes a heroic figure. Like, blah, 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 blah. So right, he's right. his family. And it all just boils down to Deus Machina. She just fucking misses. <laughs> she just sucks at it. Well, and, and, and you, you want to know why? Why does she miss? Because instead of walking up, get point blank, then take the You gun know you're caught, she right? Takes, she knows she's getting assassinated. The... She knows she's that right. she's done. But she's, she starts taking out the gun when she's, like, 75 feet away and then, like, has to walk with the gun. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sorry. Sorry. Let me get through. Just take the gun out when you're right there. It. She could have gotten point blank. She could have got, walked right up to him. But, you know, Star Trek staging, <laughs> not, not always great. <laughs> not always amazing at the, uh, at the he, action staging. That is 100% the best thing, best screenshot we've taken. That is so ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, that is the shot you take that you only make that shot if he's going to take the bullet. But it, it misses right. everybody. No, it, it makes so much more sense if he takes the shot to protect Boreal. Yeah. Like, a million times, that makes much more sense. That's much more narratively interesting. That's why I had to rewatch it. I was like, did I miss something? Maybe he hit her or maybe some something? No, she just missed. No. That was a very awkward sequence i i love the idea of it but the execution was not great <laughs> so uh kira grabs win and accuses her of setting the whole thing up as an elaborate assassination attempt on virile so that win could be kai um which i think is exactly what happened and yeah, i think 100%. that that's like that's interesting i love that mm-hmm. um 
So uh, later on Ops, Cisco tells Neela that uh, Cisco says that Neela says she did it alone. They can't prove that Wynn set it up. And uh, Kira says that one year ago, she was fighting the Cardassians and a lot has changed, which is an interesting little, it's not a break of the fourth wall, but it's a little bit of a soft break. And just like, wow, we've, you know, this is the end of the first season. We've come a long way. And if you really, uh, it's good to keep in mind just how recently they were in the occupation Mm -hmm. and in a war. And so I think that informs a lot of where the Bajorans are coming from and why they're still so raw and and in a and, and I think it adds an element of uncertainty for them because like yeah everything's fine now but like it's pretty fragile this is brand new I don't know if I can trust all of this so I, I don't have my loyalties are a little bit on light feet at this point um and I think that makes I think that adds context to all of this also um, I well, well, we can talk about it later, but isn't that sort of like a major security risk? The second Odo or failure, oh, the second Ben got the word from O'Brien that like, oh, it's 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 uh, Neela, he should have like had a security lockdown. There should have been a whole thing. I mean, I guess it was in real time, but it seemed like they really slow played it there. But I guess plot, plot, plot. It was slow motion, Mike. Yeah, you're right. It was so slow motion. time was happening a little faster than it seemed. Uh, yeah, no, I feel like that was like 30 seconds you know between point a and point b but yeah i mean i certainly in that situation if i think somebody's with a gun i have these two leaders on them i beam them off well she's already killed someone at that point you you know that she already murdered one of your officers well but you know and and certainly i don't know like if if you're there with the president right and you're like there's a killer in the room and they've Mm -hmm. you know you have the ability to beam them away yeah, I would just beam them away immediately. I mean, it's like uh, somebody yeah. removed the metal detectors on purpose, you know, uh, and that's and that's sort of what happened there. So anyway, but whatever, it's fast. It happens. Uh, so they, we finish as Kira tells Cisco that she's on his side and that they've made progress after all. And that brings us to the end of season one. But we do not get out of uh, season one. Without everybody's favorite. And now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek Vocabulary Quiz. Okay, Mike, your first word is tritanium. Oh, shit, I missed it. Um, I, I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> Uh, well, that that's wrong. Tritanium is what the tool was made out of, <laughs> which is oh, what they were searching okay. for. And that's how they find the goo. Mm-hmm. And, of course, tritanium goo, is 21.4 times as hard as a diamond. It's a substance they discovered in the original series, and uh, a lot of shielding is made out of it. Weapons are made out of it. It's really tough stuff. It's like titanium, but tritanium. Your next word is the Vedic Assembly. The Vedic Assembly is like the the cardinal folks that get together and pick the next Kai, correct? That's right. It's like the College of Cardinals at the Vatican. Right you are. You're right on that one. Affirmative. Okay. Mike, 
do you uh, think it's time to come along home? What do you say? I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad I asked too. Okay, so uh, Mike, we begin as we begin every uh, week. Mike, were there any wormholes in the plot for you? Um, I'm not sure I fully understand her her the whole plan. So the whole plan, let me understand it was they okay. Did they did they plan on blowing up the school with everybody out of it just to attract? the Vedic to come in or did they want to kill some people there because she had wanted to steal a runabout for her escape plan after they then shot him. So it was really, it seems really detailed. Like it was a fake, a fake murder of children to bring the guy on board so they could real kill him. Correct. Yes. I think it's a little unclear to me whether or not the school bombing was part of the plan or just one of the things that happened as a result of the rhetoric that was happening, but probably Mm -hmm. because we never saw directly who blew up the school. So I I guess we're assuming that it was Neela, but we don't know for sure. Um, So that's, that's a little bit unclear, but, but yes, whether or not the school bombing was a part of it, the general plan was to find a way uh, to get, um, get Burial onto the station to assassinate him. So that, that was, so I guess the biggest plot hole, which seems the biggest plot hole then for me, which seems to be actually a production thing and not uh, a plot hole in the, in, in the, in the um, script is that Neela seems to have had all this special access, which you would have made more sense. Had she been a trusted confidant of O'Brien for weeks and weeks but it turns out she's new. Even Keiko says she's new and they're trying to figure it out. So it's it's bizarre. It doesn't clock that O'Brien would have been so careless with somebody new and giving them sort of unfettered access into the different stuff. It may, definitely made more sense if it had been the old assistant who we've come to like know and trust. So, I mean, but it's hard to blame them on that because clearly there was an issue. They had to get rid of the other. It didn't work out with the other actress. So um, I guess we'll forgive that one. Um, well, I, I think two things. One, um, we did see Neela last week. She okay. had like one line. She was she was there. So they did integrate her at least into one episode as basically a background actor. Um, and if you're an engineer, you kind of need access to everything to fix stuff. Uh, and she was cute. Yeah. So she was she was she was playing that angle of it. So. Even though he wasn't going to like make out with her, you know, you get a little flirty flirt. She's kind of cute. You sort of you let things slide a little bit because the the dance is a little fun. So yeah, I guess you're right. Th- that's how I would. What about you? Is there anything but, yeah, glaring I'm missing? Um. Well, I I think that the it's not necessarily like a big hole in the plot. I mean, other than the. You know the, the assassination protocol. There should be like one button to beam the you know the people somewhere else. Um, I mean, it all basically tracked to me. 
we don't really know how they blew up the school and how they got the the bombs and the weapons and if you have detectors for that kind of stuff like how did that all get done um you know and the it just seems like odo odo for as good as he is at his job dropped the ball in many corners this week yeah it, it was not a good week for odo it was not not a great week for for all of that and the and the murder i get you shoot the guy and then you hide the body and the but i guess that was never part of the plan you know i i, I I had the hole and then I fixed it in my head, even without telling any of you, um, because it was smart to put the body in the plasma conduit so it would be destroyed, um, but not destroyed enough. All it did was delay them finding out what happened. Um, and so I was like, well, that would be a hole because I feel like somebody that smart would be able to find a way to like really get rid of the body. But clearly the plan was not to kill this guy that happened by accident because he stumbled mm-hmm. upon her. And so it was a, it, we didn't have a plan. It was like, what do I, I have to get rid of a body in three minutes. What do I do? So that, that makes sense that that would be, right. uh, that there would be problems with that. So, uh, yeah, so that's what I have for uh, wormholes. Let's go to our best moment. Um, You know, in our other, one of our other podcasts that we, or we finished up, we were tracking, uh, the practice by David E. Kelly. And and one thing that David E. Kelly did a lot on that show was he used his, one of the closing arguments of the defense attorneys to sort of summarize his political viewpoint, his thesis statement. Sometimes it was heavy handed. Sometimes it was very eloquent and beautiful. And I think this week we get that. We get that in Cisco's speech on the promenade uh, when he basically uh, lets space Karen have it and lets her know uh, that she, it's cl- that he sees through it, and she's using, uh, she's forcing, she's using people's spiritual uh, uh, beliefs and practices uh, f- for political gain to 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 create division and dissent in for political gain, which is sort of the antithesis yeah. of what she's supposed to be and what they are looking for her to be, and she's trying to create false antagonists. And I think it, it it eloquently, very eloquently, and not heavy-handed. I think there are some other heavy-handed elements I spoke about, but it very eloquently speaks about uh, a conflict we have in our civilization, in our society that we are dealing with, and how a little rational compassion and empathy could go a long way, and how, unfortunately, a lot of our leaders to this even day are... Uh, not showing empathy and compassion and looking for realistic solutions to bring us together, but they are sowing division uh, in order to further their own political, financial, and egotistical gains. And yeah, I think it's yeah. well stated there. It doesn't, na- and, and as Star Trek thus far on Deep Space Nine at least has uh, been very willing to do, it doesn't always answer or, or, or posit a solution. Uh, it more highlights the issue and how we kind of have to work together. And then you've said it before. I think it's interesting because Deep Space Nine at the end of the day, and Kira uh, acknowledges this at the end, is a melting pot, much like, shocker, our country, our our our, our world. Yeah. And we've got to find a way. We can't just segregate everybody. We have to find a way to come together and to live together. And Kira, I think I, I also, so so that's my favorite scene, my favorite moment. Uh, but also in tandem is is Kira's tacit agreement at the end, where she says, everything you said on the promenade, I agree with. I'm part of that coalition. And I like that 
uh, reassertion of the, uh, whereas, whereas, uh, Star Trek and, and next generation, the original series and next generation was very much to boldly go to just keep exploring, exploring. It's about exploration. This is clearly planted its flag more in the, let's find a way to take all of the diversity we're finding and and meld it peacefully together, which I think is is yeah, different. It's, it's what do and you unique. do after the exploration? Yes. Um. Yeah. No. I I I agree with you. I, and there's a lot of really interesting stuff there. I mean, for me, my favorite moments are from uh, from Vedic Win. Not that I. It is. I mean, she's she's awful. But I loved her ability to bring up hatred inside me <laughs> like to to get an emotional reaction mm-hmm. from me and a lot of that is the writing but a lot of that is the performance and the sort of um the condescension and the opportunism like the ability for this production in the writing and the performance to get such an emotional visceral reaction from me i think is very satisfying even though i like i hate it i'm like ah, i want to kill her Mm -hmm. but that really um is something that i find very satisfying to be able to get that um but your point about cisco's uh discussion there and the whole uh episode topic i think they handled it really well because we start out thinking this is going to be a debate about science versus faith, right? Because we're, we're doing sort of a, a version of Inherit the Wind. We're doing a Scopes Monkey trial sort of a deal here. Um, but where the show comes down, it doesn't come down on the side of science is good and faith is bad or mm-hmm. faith is good and science is bad. It comes down on the side of the misuse of faith is what the bad thing is. And I think the show is actually very respectful of faith in general, but very but condemns the misuse of it, which I think is, I think that's the important point. I think that's the important lesson, and I think that that has tremendous value that we can respect faith and belief, uh, belief and and whatever, um, as long as you don't misuse it, and that you know a lot of people mm-hmm. who are misusing faith who get called on it, accuse the person calling them on it of attacking their faith as opposed to attacking their misuse of faith. And and that could be science too. You can misuse any of it. Um, yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think if you're, you know, if, if you have the, the pastor of the mega church who is stealing millions from his parishioners, and you're like, hey, don't do that. And like, you're attacking my faith. No, we're attacking your behavior and you're using faith to... Uh, enrich yourself or whatever it is like i think that's a really interesting point of view so uh mike what yeah do you, say you know it's funny you say that right? uh, to, 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 to yeah yeah to, so we've got a bit of a delay situation going here so sorry if we're talking over each other i'll try to fix it in post um one thing you know tongue and in- firmly planted in cheek from much of the episode but seriously for those who might be interested you know keith and i obviously in our shows even in this episode specifically wear our politics on our sleeve Pretty, pretty blatantly. Um, that said, don't accuse us of, I, I, you have every right to believe what you believe. Um, just like Keith said, when it comes to spirituality, like it, it's, it's, uh, it, the things we come down on is people mis, 
misusing those beliefs uh, or using people's uh, beliefs against them to try to paint them in a light that is unkind or antagonistic, which is precisely what the episode's about, right? And I think, I think that point is is uh, is really made clear in this episode, and it's great because, yes, they could have a really new. There are moments for a really nuanced discussion about. What is faith's role in science? What is faith's role in in the exploration of science? And and but they they choose not to really go down there. And what they try to do is paint use use the antagonist to point out the extremes of what can happen when certain things that people hold truth uh, very deeply is be it their spirituality, be it their politics, be it their viewpoint on how to treat people is exploited. Because right. there's no judgment made on those, on the conservative sect that are being drawn to the space station. They obviously are coming in support of what they are being told is a flagrant uh, violation of their beliefs. And in reality, it's not them who there's a judgment it's, being made on. It's not about the validity of the faith at all. Correct. Never is. And um, it's it's people who are able to by cult of personality or by political machinations uh, are able to exploit that in order to create a false narrative that leads down a very dangerous in some path. Fashion. Yes. Yeah. And it's to do that in 45 minutes. Pretty, pretty great. Pretty, pretty genius. And also setting up an incredible, great, big, bad to use later in the, so see, so great. Maybe not, uh, clearly, I'm a little more drawn this season to the more small personal stories we've seen, but I appreciate this for what it is. I'm going to give it uh, 87.85 self-sealing stem bolts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's I think that that's fair. I mean, as a season finale, right? Is this best of both worlds? Of course not. No, it's not. And it is, is this more of a regular episode with some finale-ish flavors? It's, it, it's not really, you know, the big two-part, you know, uh, big battle finale or whatever. And so it's, it's not satisfying in a like, holy shit, look at that kind of a finale that you're going to find moving forward. Um, but I think it does a lot of really important work setting up where we're going. And obviously, uh, if, if it was a spoiler, it has been spoiled. We're going to see more from Wynn, right? And, and yes, we are setting up a long-term adversary for us. And I think that it does that in a tremendously satisfying way. I have, like I said... I have, you know, I personally have such a visceral reaction to Space Karen, and I'm like, ooh, watching us tangle with her for some time is going to be very satisfying. Um, and uh, I'm not going to say for how long she's a part of the show or or, or even how much, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna see more from Win, and uh, I can't wait, frankly. Um, you know the. This leading up to an assassination attempt, great. That's interesting. I wish that we had mm -hmm. set up all of this a little bit longer. I think we would have benefited from 
meeting Win a couple episodes ago, meeting Barile a couple episodes ago, to make us feel a little bit more stakes because the we're having an assassination attempt, which is very exciting, and and I think this episode does a great job of setting up both of those characters. But it's not the same thing as, like you said, Cisco being in peril or one of our heroes that we know. These are people we've known for 45 minutes as opposed to throughout the course of a season. So mm -hmm. I think raising the stakes and putting some of our heroes in more da more danger would have been a little bit more satisfying as mm -hmm. a season finale. As a regular episode, great. But as a season finale, I think that all could have yeah. been done um, could have been done better. The machinations of the, like, obviously the writers were much more interested in the discussion of science and religion and education. And frankly, I am too, right? I'm much more interested in that. However, I think the assassination attempt, that whole A to B to C could have used a rewrite, could have used like one more pot of coffee on how do we make this a little bit more interesting? How do we make it a little bit more um, clever? And it 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 it, mm -hmm. it told a lot as opposed to showed a lot. Yes, at the end of the day, especially with her with her missing, it feels like you go through all of this very specific and devious sort of misdirection in order to get to the actual assassination plot, and it's like so it's so uh, clumsily handled that it's sort of made it all for naught anyway. So it, it is they it could have used it more. And it, yeah, finesse. it ended a little silly and. Um, would have loved much more of a cat and mouse. Like, you know, there are plenty of movies like this where you have the, our hero is tracking down a possibly assassination attempt that is at the end of the movie, but you see the cat and mouse, you see the person working through and there's personal stakes and, and practical stakes. And then it ends in the satisfying fashion. This was sort of a, this felt like a, a rough draft of what it should have been in terms of the excitement of all of that, both, um, in the staging of it, but also in the logic of it. I feel like that all could have been better. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, but this is more about setting up the, uh, the Vedic assembly and who's going to be the next Kai and setting up wind and like, okay, great. I'm into that. So, um, it's a better episode than it is the season finale. Um, so I, it was, it's good. It's good. I didn't I, I I didn't necessarily love it or hate it. I think it was pretty solid. So uh you're going to get eighty-four self-sealing stem bolts from yours truly. So uh Mike, we've gotten through a whole season. Yeah, before we wrap it up, I'll say that yeah, my yeah. kind of hopes going forward, I don't know, is and I don't know how much I'm wanting like current TV put on an old show, but like you said, I I love a lot of the sort of overarching, uh, continuing plots that our characters are having with each other internally, with themselves, the growth we're seeing. I'd like to see them in in the next season have a couple more, like you just said, episode plot plot arcs that maybe span a few weeks. Let's let's give some time to build, not just so many freak of the week type episodes. I'd like to see them have. I know it's tough because there was no DVR, so you can't rely on people having seen the previous episodes. But I, I'd like to see them try their uh, some longer narratives. That that is such an interesting uh, thing for you to say, because uh, you know perhaps maybe not next season, but coming up, I think your wish okay 
just might be granted. So, uh, so yeah, so we're at the end of the season. Um, do you have any sort of thoughts about the season? Like, how, how do you feel about the season? How do you feel like we're, we're now one season into this journey? I dragged you into this, kicking and screaming. Um, this is probably the weakest season of Deep Space I think it's Nine. Good how TV. do you feel? I think it's good TV. I think it's uh, what I've enjoyed so far is um, confidence is the word I would use. Confidence in a lot of the writing. Confidence in a new series, which clearly had a lot of expectations put upon it. Just uh, a cast willing to go there, even in the episodes where we know and they knew it was they were weaker narrative episodes. Still gangbusters going for it. And they've shown, I think, themselves to write different types of episodes, willing to tackle political issues, willing to tackle uh, really personal narratives and just a wide ranging uh, explorations of sort of uh, deep philosophical ideas. Not, not every, not every week. We've had some clunkers. Absolutely. But a a show full of confidence. And I think if that builds, as you say, it does, who knows where we're, we're headed. So I'm excited. Yeah. Well, uh, Great. Well, then, we will see you back next week with the beginning of Season 2. I can't even believe it. Uh, we would like to thank our patrons one more time. You can join them at patreon.com slash K&M. And their names are Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, CloudLover69, Jorge Navoa, and the mysterious Alan Zimmerman, CRM Productions, Charles Babbage, and Kyle Sweeney. Uh, we begin next week with the episode the homecoming season two episode one very excited mike have a have an interesting performance today with your covid pugsley and uh hope nobody else gets it uh so uh till then this has been keith and mike watch deep space nine Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM. <laughs>